We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Caregiver Dave segment. I'm excited to welcome the program first, my co-host, Caregiver Dave. Uh, Dave, thanks for calling again. We just continue to have unbelievable celebrity interviews, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. So we're talking to Dale Wilkes, wrestler. Dale, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing good, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Good. Hey, let's start right off. Uh, did you always want to be a pro wrestler? I mean, were, were you really obsessed with pro wrestling back in the olden black and white days on television? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, um, I was born and raised and still live in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, oh, wow. as, a kid, as a kid, I would watch wrestling, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, every Saturday. And uh, went to my first live match uh, when I was 10 years old here in Columbia. And uh, just fell in love with it. And uh, truly, as a kid, there were two things that just absolutely, probably every waking fault of mine was football and pro wrestling. And uh, I was very fortunate. I got, to, I got to play football at my university, the University of South Carolina. And I also got to live out the dream of becoming a pro wrestler. So pretty lucky dude to be able to do both of those things, things yeah, that I my, dreamed of my, doing as a my kid. My father was born in uh, Florence, South Carolina. So who were some okay. of the big names back in those days? As uh, far as the wrestlers? Yeah, when you were yeah. a kid. All the guys that I grew up watching uh, were Wahoo, and, of course, Flair was around then. Mm -hmm. uh, but here in Mid-Atlantic, we got Wahoo and Johnny Weaver, uh, Abe Jacobs. Um, we got uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe came through the Carolinas. Uh, on Saturday nights, I could get Florida Championship Wrestling. And uh, I'd see Dory Funk and uh, Terry Funk and uh, uh, Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson. As a matter of fact, the very first match I went to live, I can tell you the main event. I can't tell you anything else about the court because I was 10 years old. That was 46 years ago. But the main event was Jack and Jerry Briscoe against Rip Hawk and Sweet Hanson. Wow. And, uh, man, those guys were larger than life to me. It was just mesmerizing just watching those guys in the ring, guys I had watched on TV, and finally I had a chance to see them in person, and, and they were John Wayne to me. Yeah. You know, in those days, everyone used to criticize that wrestling was fake. Uh, was it less fake or more fake back in those days? <laughs> I, I don't know that... <sighs> I don't know that it was less or more. It's always been entertainment. That's what it's always yeah. been about. Now, back in and those pain. days, certainly. Yeah. And in those days, the business was more protected as they tried to pass it off as a legitimate contest. Uh -huh. You know, about 25 years ago, pro wrestling and Vince McMahon leading the way said, look, folks, we're strictly entertainment. Um, we're entertainment just like a movie, just like a ballet, just like a a play, just like a concert, we're entertainment. But back in those days, uh, the business, uh, those yeah. in the business did try to protect the business and present it, you know, more legitimate as an actual fight between two guys that really hated each other. Now, Dell, that's interesting, so interesting you talk about that process. When you were a kid at 10, did you know or you, you had questions if it was, if it was again, fixed or not fixed. And I hate we're hearing the word fake, and I think they will find out from a former pro wrestler, not as big as Dell was. Height-wise, I was bigger than Dell. But honestly, you know, growing up, understanding this business, it is the most painful business. You can't use the word fake. I would say fixed, entertainment, acting. We're like stuntmen, right, Dell? that go through the worst stunts in the world, and we never get someone to take our spot for the stunts, right? Absolutely, and I want to slap the taste out of somebody's mouth when they <laughs> say fake, and I always let people know when they use that term around me that they couldn't be further from the truth. You're exactly right. It's entertainment. That's exactly what it is, but uh, as a result of a fake business, as some people would like to call it, I've had 15 surgeries. Now, I don't consider that a fake business. It's entertainment. It's very physical entertainment. But there's nothing fake about the surgical scars that I carry on my body. But back to your question about at 10 years old, oh, no, that was as real to me as Santa Claus. I mean, I didn't, would have never even thought crossed my mind. I thought Wahoo hated 
uh, Johnny Valentine. And I thought the Briscoe brothers wanted to kill Rip Hawkins, sweet aunt. And it was real to me. It was as real as the air that I breathe and the flesh on my bones. I, I bet you're very similar to stuntmen, you know, because stuntmen are basically, you know, trying to make something look more dangerous than it is, but they've got some scars, and sometimes it goes wrong. Oh, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, when you're a pro- professional wrestler, and that is your sole source of income. That is how you provide for your family and, mm-hmm. and pay your bills. You're a combination of many things. Uh, at times, you're almost like a truck driver because of all the miles you put behind the steering wheel getting from one town to the next. You're also a weightlifter or a bodybuilder because of all the time you spend yeah. in the gym getting your body to look good. And then you're an entertainer uh, at night when you're at work. And after work, you live like a rock star. So you're a combination of a lot of things yeah. when you're a pro wrestler. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, Neil, i got to ask him this question. Forgive me. Sure. But, uh, please tell me your opinion of Andy Kaufman and that that whole spiel he did, you know, with with the pro wrestling deal. I'd love to get well, your take. Well, I on actually, that. I, I feel different about it today than I did then, back then, uh, or or one of, of a guy just breaking into the business. Uh, I didn't view it the same way I view it now. Now I view it as actual genius. I think he did a great job. Uh, I think he did a great job in in uh, irritating the fan base and making them <laughs> mad and making them want to see Jerry Lawler beat him up and hurt him. Uh, so I, I say there was a lot of comedic genius put into that. Yeah. Now, Del, it definitely brought attention to the sport. Uh, yep. That's what I would do. It was great story. And everyone needs to watch the documentary, Lawler, and Kaufman, and also again, the, again, the the uh, Carrie movie was really good as well. One of those great ones to talk about wrestling. Now, Dell, uh, you again played college football. So, what position did you play in college? I was an offensive guard. Okay, interesting. I, uh, I, I played at the University of South Carolina uh, from 1980 to 1984, and uh, had some really special years there. My freshman year, 1980, uh, I got the block for a Heisman Trophy winning, winning running back, George Rogers. Uh, probably the greatest football player to ever play at the University of South Carolina, won the Heisman Trophy my freshman year, his senior year. And then I finished up my career at South Carolina in 1984 uh, as a uh, captain of that team, the most valuable player on that team. Uh, And at that point, we were the the first team in school history to win 10 games. At one point that year, we were ranked second in the nation had a shot to play for a national championship and screwed that up the ninth game or the 10th game of the year. But I also was very fortunate in that I was the first team consensus All-American that year. So had some very special years at the University of South Carolina playing football there. Well, Dale, let me ask you, what, when was it, what were some of the events leading up to you deciding, okay, I want to do this, and did the Patriot gimmick come in right at the beginning or did that come later? You know, Walk us through that. Well, what led me to want to get into this business is um, uh, I had a buddy of mine that attended the Citadel, a military school in Charleston, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, a big guy, uh, you know, big muscle, muscled up guy, and he had the gift of gab and big wrestling fan like myself. And so we had decided about my sophomore year in college that whenever football ended for me, whether it was after college or maybe after a few years in the NFL, the next thing I was going to do was pursue a career in pro wrestling, and he was going to, you know, break into the business with me. And we did break in in 1986. I, uh, I signed with the Buccaneers in 1985, uh, traded to the Falcons in 1986, and then the Falcons released me prior to the start of the 86 season. So that's when I put football in my rearview mirror, came back to South Carolina, and went through a school here in Columbia, my hometown, that trained professional wrestlers. Uh, the school was owned and operated by the fabulous Mula, one of the most famous lady wrestlers of all time. Yes. And, uh, and then just worked my way up from there. Uh, but the Patriot character didn't come about until 1991 when I went to work with the Global Wrestling Federation. Prior to that, uh, I did a character called the Trooper. 
a sort of a highway patrol looking character, you know, with the Smokey the Bear hat and the belt and the handcuffs and the flashlight and the badge and all that stuff. But um, I went to work for Global in 1991, and we thought it would be a good idea because our military had gone into Kuwait uh, to liberate Kuwait when Iraq had invaded Kuwait, and we thought we could take advantage of uh, just that fever pitch of, of national pride that always goes on early on in a situation like that. And, and uh, you know, uh, the nation was behind our military and behind the first President Bush when we went into Kuwait and liberated Kuwait. And, and so we thought, man, what a great opportunity to come out with a patriotic. Who came up with it? Who was the person that came up with a gimmick for you in global? And did you ever think that it would get so over that that the WWF would pick this up because a lot of times when you get signed with WWF, it doesn't happen like that, that they got so over that you were really the poster child for America for a long time with this gimmick. Well, I would like to take credit for the idea, but it wasn't my idea. I was working for the AWA for Vern Gagne and working as a character called the Trooper and the AWA went out of business. Now we were on ESPN five days a week, Monday through Friday from four to five o'clock. Uh, after the AWA folded, this upstart company came along called the Global Wrestling Federation. They contacted me about coming to work for them. Their very first TV taping was going to be in Dallas, Texas at the old Sportatorium. As a matter of fact, the Sportatorium was sort of our headquarters. It was where we taped all of our TV shows. So they sent me a ticket, and I flew out, and I flew out with my trooper gear. Nobody said anything different to me get you gear. We want you there for the first TV taping. So I thought I was going to be working as a trooper. And about four hours before we started taping that night, before the doors opened and the people came into the building, Bill Eady and Joe Petticino and Bonnie Blackstone, they were the sort of the brain trust of the Global yeah. Wrestling Federation, approached me with the idea of this character. As a matter of fact, they had the types, the trunks, uh, and a mask in a brown paper bag, like an old grocery bag. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget it sitting in uh, Bill Eady's motel room. Bonnie opened up that brown paper bag, and she pulled out these red, white, and blue tights and a red, white, and blue mask <laughs> and red, white, and blue trunks. And they laid this idea out to me. And uh, I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a shot. And uh, that night, when I walked down the aisle and walked through the curtain, that building erupted. Those people had never seen that character before, but it uh -huh. was immediate, just an immediate, unbelievable, re unbelievable reaction. Patriotism was uh, high back just, then. Yes, it, it really was, and it just sent my career, you know, on just a, a straight up arch. I mean, it just really, really, my career really took off there, and uh, I was able to go all over the world with the character, uh, work for the WWF, and I was. It was a little unusual. Usually when you go to work for Vince, Vince wants himself or his creative team to create a character for you. Very seldom do you bring your own character into the WWF and keep it. But uh, I was able to do that with the Patriot character. And uh, it was always, no matter if I was in Japan or overseas in Europe or in the States, uh, it was just always well-received. Hey, Dal, did you, did you actually know personally uh, the Hulk or the Rock or Andre the Giant? Yeah, knew all those guys. I, uh, did you fight them? I, worked, uh, I spent several years working in Japan for All Japan Pro Wrestling, and Andre did several tours with us. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, uh, I've worked tag matches with Andre. I've worked tag matches against Andre. Uh, when I was in WCW in the mid-'90s, uh, Hogan was there as well, so... I know Hogan, and when I was in the WWF at the end of my career, me and Rock and D'Lo Brown traveled together. We uh, wow. we drove together. We uh, we went everywhere together. We worked out together. We ate together. We <laughs> we uh, the three of us were always together. Now this was before the Rock days. He was still Rocky Maivia, uh -huh. and uh, mm -hmm. you know just getting into that Rock character. But yep, spent spent a lot of time with him on the road. So tell us about life after wrestling. Well, it's been interesting. It uh, There's been some ups and downs, and uh, I, my career ended uh, because of a, of a pretty severe injury. And uh, so How old were you? In the way I, huh? How old were you? Well, I was 
was, let me see, 61, I was 30, 39 years old when I had my last match, I guess. Um, yeah, 38 or 39 years old. And, That's pretty uh, young for a wrestler, huh? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it was, uh, I, I didn't intend to have to stop then, but when your body basically sort of fails you and gives yeah. out on you, and you're unable to, uh, you know, that body is what makes you your money. And when you yeah. can't count on it to deliver anymore, it's over. That should and, that uh, should solve the uh, the fake uh, wrestling criticism because your your body really takes a beating. Yes, absolutely, uh, a, a big time beating. And so what, uh, what are you doing I, today? I'll, I have been in uh, automobile sales for 13 years now. I uh, I'm at a Nissan dealership in my hometown. And uh, it's been a tremendously good business for me. Um, it, it's really been great. I mean, I, uh, I, I've, you know, sort of a hometown guy done well here in Columbia, yeah. South Carolina. All you American promote the Patriot player. character with uh, television commercials, you know, like I see some of these guys doing that. That'd be awesome. We have done that in the past. Uh, and and it's, always, it's always very helpful. Um, you know, a lot of times when somebody walks into a, showroom of a car dealership their defense is up their shields up uh you know they just a little cautious and a little leery but yeah. i've got pictures of my wrestling career in my office pictures of my football career and it's always a good icebreaker it, it allows you to get your mind off business and talk about other things and just build some rapport with a customer so it's cool. it served me very well plus you know i've got good name recognition here in the state of south carolina yeah so, the entrepreneurship end of things, Dell, were you ready for that transition, you know, from on the road all the time and a lot of things you had to take care of your body, but a lot of things were taken care of for you when you were on the road, then to now making more decisions. Was that a challenge? It was. And, and I'll tell you, it's funny. All those years I spent on the road, uh, you know, I had a wife and a family and, and uh, I was gone all the time and I'd come home for a few days and leave again and, Sometimes for three or four weeks at a time, I'd be gone and I wouldn't see my family. But when it ended the way it ended, rather abruptly because of the injury, all of a sudden I was home all the time. And, uh, you know, I wasn't used to the way things were, had been done at the house. And uh, <laughs> so it, 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 it created some problems between my wife and I because we had never known life that way, being together all the time. And as a, we eventually ended up divorcing. Uh, as a result of that, uh, everything we had known was me being gone and her running the house. And all of a sudden, I don't have anywhere to go anymore. And uh, it just didn't work very well. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Changes are difficult. Oh, they are. Okay. They, it's hard for couples to get used to changes when things happen, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's easy to get along when you don't live together, practically. Yeah. And uh, when, when you're apart all the time and you're together for a a few days at a time and you leave and, but all of a sudden you're together 24 hours a day because I went through a number of surgeries, uh, you know, after my career ended. So it was probably about almost two years before I did anything, uh, you know, uh, as far as another career or, or getting into another line of work. And, you still uh, deal with so a lot of pain today. I do. I, I, I certainly do. I still live with the effects of, of what I've done to my body. And uh, any regrets? I'll tell you this. Any regrets? No, I was. That's what I was getting ready to say. I wouldn't change it. I, I yeah. would do some things different, obviously, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into another line of work. I'm man. Listen, I lived a dream. I got to do what I wanted to do as a kid. What I dreamed of doing as a teenager. Yeah. I got to do it. I got to do it all over the world, and I got to do it with great people and people yeah. I had watched on TV people that were my heroes and my idols as a teenager and a young boy and got to make those friendships. And no, I, I would, I'd go through those 15 surgeries again to be able to do Worth what I got pain, to do. Huh? Yeah. So Dell, yeah, give absolutely. me your greatest moment in college football and your greatest moment in pro wrestling. Greatest moment in college football without a doubt was my senior year in 1984. Um, Clemson is our big rival at the university of South Carolina. And uh, we had not beaten Clemson during my entire time at South Carolina. And in 1984, we went to Clemson the last game of the year to play them uh, in Death Valley, as they call their home. And we were down 21-3 to 3 
right before the half. We scored a touchdown right before the half to make it 21 to 10. And we scored a touchdown with about 30 seconds left in the game to win 22 to 21 over our hated arch rival, the Clemson Tigers, the greatest moment of my college football career. And I would say probably the greatest moment moment of my wrestling career. Um, there were a couple big important moments that when things happened, it made me realize I had a chance of having a good career. But I'd say probably my biggest moment was uh, beating Brett uh, Hart on the uh, on Raw Monday night back in 1998, I think it was, and uh, sort of shocked the wrestling world, and uh, which it led to a big angle with Brett and I, the uh, the big American Canadian feud. So that was probably the highlight of my career. Exactly, and then that's very very interesting. So you have that, that's your dealership, but what else? You're also doing autograph signings, personal appearances, still and stuff, right? Is that correct, Del? That's that is correct. Uh, still do those. Uh, matter of fact, next month we'll be in New York, um, upstate New York for a comic convention up there. And, uh, so still do a lot of uh, personal appearances, um, get out, get around the wrestling fans or great fans, man. I tell you, they're the greatest fans I think on the face of the earth. So it's always good to be able to be around them and just, uh, share your experiences with them and, Listen, they know more about my career than, than I do, and that's that's how wrestling fans are. They, you know, they know about their favorite wrestlers and, and important moments in their career. And of course, it's always good to be around the guys again. You know, we're all a lot older now, and we look a lot different than we did in our heyday. But it's still good yeah. to be able to get back together. Yeah, but you look the same in your Patriot outfit, don't you? I tell you, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day for. For about 14 years, I made a living without a shirt every night. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't pay me good money to take my shirt off in public now. Oh, things, have, yeah. things have really changed. <laughs> now, Dell, well, let's talk about like uh, you know the the particulars. Uh, any other goals, entrepreneur wise, that you want to attain in your career? Uh, life after sports. What are you? Do you, what goals do you have as an entrepreneur? Well, I tell you, my goals now are retirement. Uh, uh, just hopefully a few years down the road. I, I have got two granddaughters. One of them's two and a half. The other's a year and a half. And I want to spend time with them. It, it's amazing when you become a grandparent how things just change for you. And uh, now that is what I enjoy doing with my free time. I've never hunted. I've never fished. I've never golfed. I've never done things like that. I was always with my family and my kids. And now every free minute I've got, I want to be with my granddaughters. So I'm looking forward to retirement down the road, not too far down the road, so I can spend more time with them and just be with my family and travel and take those kids places and do things with them. Fabulous. Now, Dave is a caregiver, and Dave has a caregiving question for you. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, sure. Del, you're old enough to have your parents like uh, start – Entering that age where maybe they need some care, uh, have you ever uh, thought about what's what's coming their way or what's uh, happening with you if one day you may have to be their caregiver? You know, I, I, I'm fortunate that both of my parents are still alive. They're divorced and have been for a while. Uh, my dad is 79, my mom's 77, and they're in excellent health, oh, very good that's health, great. still very active. So, but I have thought about eventually one day there may come a time when I have to do that. And, and yeah. as a matter of fact, speaking of a caregiver, I have a sister that uh, has special needs. She lives mm. with my mother. She's 41 now, my sister is. So one day, if nature takes its progressive course, mm -hmm. when my mom passes, then it will be up to me to take care of my sister. She has to have, you know, she can't yeah. live by herself and live on her own. So she'll always need someone with her. And, uh, I, I, I always tell people, you know, caregiving is coming. You know, there's no escaping it. You're either going to need one, you're going to sure. be one. And now's the time to learn how to be a caregiver and how to take care of yourself so you don't burn out. Not after tragedy strikes and your loved one's disabled and now, you know, you don't have time to scratch your head, let alone learn how to be a caregiver. That's why I wrote my book. It's my life, too. Reclaim your caregiver sanity. So my contact information yep. is caregiverdave.com. There. There's a commercial. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, Dell. You, I connected you with you on Twitter, but you're on Twitter. What other social media can we people connect, fans of yours, that want to know more what's going on with you, Dell? That's well, on Twitter. Twitter at, De 
Twitter at Dell Wilkes, uh, all capital letters at Dell Wilkes, and then Facebook, uh, uh, Dell Wilkes, and then I've got a wrestling page, Dell the Patriot Wilkes, uh, on Facebook as well. I've got a website. DellThePatriotWilks.com and Dell is D-E-L, not D-A-L-E. It's not Dale, it's Dell. DellThePatriotWilks.com is our website where we sell our merchandise, our masks, our pictures, our posters, uh, DVD. Uh, we did a documentary a couple of years ago, and we've got a free disc DVD that we sell off the website as well. So all of our merchandise is at the website, DellThePatriotWilks.com. And then Dell Wilkes on Facebook and at Dell Wilkes on Twitter. Awesome. You're fabulous, Dell. Thank you, Dell. Thank you, Dave. And guys, take care. Thank and Dell, I'll be in touch because I definitely want to continue uh, this uh, relationship um, uh, off of the air. So let's just stay connected, okay? Yeah. It Let me know if you ever guys. become a caregiver. It. We'll help you out. Okay. Thank you, All Dave. Right, I appreciate guys. it. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show. You can check me out on Twitter, at TotalTutor, and NeilHaley.com. And I'm excited to welcome the program. We all know her from the never-ending story. What happened to her? And what's, what is she doing today? Her story is tremendous, so I'm excited to welcome to the program. Tammy Stranach. Tammy, thanks for calling. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for being here. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. You know, when, when you think about it and you, the, the never-ending story, uh, your life is, is never-ending of a story as well in a storybook because of what path after that movie you took. Am I correct? It's kind of that kind of thing where you never thought after that movie where you would go. It's true. Well, I mean, it's it's a funny thing, you know, because um, film is such an odd way. It sort of captures somebody's life. And then if you don't continue in film, uh, it can appear as if, as if you've disappeared. But of course, just like everybody else, I didn't stay perpetually young on a bed in Fantasia. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but maybe. I went on to to do many things. So um so yeah, um primarily uh dance and a lot of live theater in New York and uh, teaching also. Yeah, so we're definitely going to get all those things. It's kind of like you and I hit it off off air when we were chatting because here's the really kind of funny thing is I'm a former professional wrestler. So I was in the minor leagues. So I disappeared off the planet to become a teacher and then somehow got back in entertainment later in my life. So it's kind of a kind of a strange story. I disappeared after X amount of years in pro wrestling and nowhere to be found and do something else. Go and become a teacher and and go ahead and uh, running a, a tutoring business. And it led me back to entertainment. So we never know in our stories what happens. But let's get right into the nitty gritty because, you know, people want to learn more about the never ending story. Now, tell us how that audition happened. Talk about that. So, um, I was in an acting class in San Francisco, and the casting agent uh, was having lunch with my teacher, and she came a little early for their lunch date. Uh, She was in town to cast for the film and happened to see me at the tail end of the class and invited me to audition. Um, And so I had really no idea what I was auditioning for, um, but I was very active in the arts and I was dancing and I was taking a lot of classes. I was in a theater troupe that did local um, kind of tours to different assemblies at different schools in the area. And, um, and I was definitely sort of up for auditioning for whatever I could get my hands on. So I, I showed up, but really without understanding the magnitude of what I was auditioning for. 
Absolutely. And because uh, at that age, you're like, okay, this I'm, I'm, I'm getting an opportunity. I want to act and wow. And, and you've no idea what this is going to be about. You just say, okay, let me go audition. Right. How many auditions did you have before that, Tammy? Um, there were three auditions. The first one was in San Francisco. The second one was in LA. And then the final audition, when I knew things were getting serious, um, was in Germany at the Bavarian studios. And they let me know, they were like, it's between you and one other girl. And so, you know, do the audition and we'll let you know tomorrow. So we're like in Germany, we flew there. I know that it's between me and this other girl. It's really nerve wracking. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So you go and, and you audition and once you audition, how nervous were you in this position of auditioning? Did you, are you the kind of person like, okay, let's just go for this, or just didn't think of the magnitude of this audition? Well, I did, yeah, I wasn't as nervous for the ones in San Francisco or L.A. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I hoped it would go well, but I think, you know, the closer you get to something, the more the stakes go up. So by the third audition in Germany, I sort of knew that there was a good chance I could potentially get the role. And at that point, uh, yeah, I could feel the stakes ramping up. (laughs) Definitely. And uh, once you did it, did you think you nailed it or you said to yourself, I don't know? (laughs) Gosh, you know, that's funny. I don't, I don't really remember. Um, uh, I mean, I, you know, I definitely felt like I gave it my best shot and that, you know, and I really think this is true for everything in life. Like all you can do is give something your best shot and then you either are a good fit for it or you aren't. And some of that's kind of out of your hands. Um, but I was, I was very, I was, you know, really excited when uh, I learned that I had landed the role the next day. I was super excited. All right, so let's go to the the whole um, shoot, the actors you worked with. Did you kind of catch up to understand what the book, The NeverEnding Story, was about before the whole shoot and everything? Definitely, yeah. I read uh, read Michael and his book, and um, I loved it, and uh, and I read the script, and I was really interested in in, um, sort of the differences between the two and got a lot of information from the book as background, uh, you know, for the character. So, um, yeah, I, I, um, I definitely was, um, doing my research even at 10. (laughs) Yeah. So I can't even imagine 10. So I'm thinking about, I have five kids of my own. My oldest is 11, soon to be 12. And it's, it's at 10 years old, researching all this stuff. And and saying and, and preparing yourself, and then there you go. You're on. You're, you're filming. Was it a grueling shoot? I mean, because look at the amount of uh, uh, just uh, photography and 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 special effects that were involved in that film. Was it a, was it grueling for you? It, it was a it was an intense shoot. I mean, um, it was. There were long days. What I remember. We were shooting in the Bavarian studios in Germany, which um, the labor laws for kids are a little different there. <laughs> so I don't know if you could do as many hours on set that, that, that the hours we did. I remember them being really long days. Um, but to be honest with you, I didn't mind at all. I loved it. I loved being on set. Um, and I was I understood that it was a really special opportunity to see how a film is made. And so I was I was happy to be on set for as many hours as they wanted us to be on set. And and that's that that's 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 an interesting thing. And so this experience will be one of your only real experiences acting. I mean, you did stage after and and worked with other people and dance and things like that. So this memory will last a lifetime for sure because of just the experience and the differences of everything and I guess the number of takes. I just can't imagine that at 10 years old going through all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, when I came to New York, I did act in a theater company for seven years and we um, did a bunch of original shows at Soho Repertory, which is a downtown theater in New York city that presents um, kind of exciting new works and we toured around the country, and then now I'm acting in some paper canoe 
production. So, I mean, I actually did keep acting. I just didn't do it for film. Um, so, and it is really interesting, the difference between film and, and theater. And I am really curious about getting back into some film. I think that in some weird way, I, I feel a kind of calling to revisit and explore that medium again. Um, but acting did stay a really relevant and important part of my life, even after the never ending story. I just, transferred it to live ah, acting yeah. as opposed to interesting film. okay and and so yeah, yeah and, and in a lot of ways it's because of what you loved and and, and those possibilities what do you think you learned yeah. most from the experience of a never-ending story who working with or specific as an act as an actress that you took with you into to the stage for nine years after that I mean, I think that um, it was a very formative experience, things that happen to you when you're 10, you know, at that age. They, I think they do leave a, um, a lasting impression. And I think that I got really attracted to the genre of fantasy. I got really attracted to the genre uh, I mean, I just—I mean, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg. I don't know if I was just always attracted to that, and I happened to luck into it. But I feel like I've retained this uh, soft spot for uh, fantastical, whimsical um, movies, books, projects. I think that somehow that whole uh, experience sank into my bones, and it sort of left me with this idea that stories, even when they're um, not real that in some ways they kind of um, make us digest reality uh, more effectively. Because sometimes when you're talking about reality, it's just, it's it's too difficult. The world's too crazy. Everything's so messed up. Like you kind of just shut down. <laughs> and with fantasy, you can kind of talk about things in this other realm where we stay open, where we stay curious, and where we stay invested. And in a way, we can kind of unearth truths about daily life more readily sometimes in these fictional uh, worlds. So I think just that whole concept uh, really affected me. Yeah, and, and and very interesting. Any actor or actress that you learned from most that you would say was the best mentor on this film? Well, I only had such tiny little scenes, right? I mean, I, I acted with Noah in one scene, and I acted with, with Barrett in another scene. Um, and uh, it was, you know, really, there, there were such different boys in a way. I mean, we were... Noah really was kind of athletic and heroic and um, sort of very kind of kinetic. And Barrett really was a kind of sensitive, sweet, introspective kid. <laughs> so, you know, um, but I think, I think like, um, you know, the key to really falling into a scene completely is always going to be the, the director. They're going to set the stage. They're going to set the atmosphere and they're going to, make it possible for you to fully believe in what you're doing. So I think the most significant person I worked with was absolutely hands down Wolfgang Peterson. You know, Tammy, you say small part. Yes, it was small roles, but you were, I guess, one of the main people that people remember from the never ending story. That's the cool part, right? You had a few scenes, but you were such an a, important part of what made the never-ending story your character. That's the <laughs> that's that's the cool part. They'll never be forgotten. Even though you know some people have these small acting parts, but yet yours is not going to be forgotten because of just the way the character was created in this story. Thank you, thank you for saying that. I mean, I remember my my early my earliest acting teacher saying, you know, doesn't matter how small the part is, you know, you, you have to, you have to, to give it your all. And if you're a tree, you just make everyone remember that tree. It's <laughs> <laughs> very funny actually, but, um, I really, you know, I think, um, I think that, uh, I think I just really lucked out because of the setup of the film. The whole film is sort of gearing up to going to the ivory tower at the end. So the whole structure of the film kind of, um, in some ways, you know, it's just a really good setup for that character. And also, you know, I think that the character herself was just, I feel so uh, lucky that I got to play that character because there's not, 
So, I mean, I think for young girls in movies in the 80s, there weren't uh, that many very rich parts. And um, so it was just such a, a stroke of luck to be given the opportunity to play that kind of a character. And, and I and I think so. So how did you piggyback off of that? So you finished that film. You were very happy with the results of that film. And if you Google yourself on YouTube or go through YouTube, you're when you said what a never ending story, you come up as one of the three characters. So don't talk small part when those are the three they remember the most from the movie. But uh, the 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 point I wanted to make that that's uh very interesting is uh tammy the um the process of 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 after so did you did you this help you getting uh, to, to go and audition for other parts after this experience i did a little bit of auditioning and i was um looking at some scripts that i was offered after the film but um honestly I decided with my family, you know, the consultation of my parents to walk away from celebrity at that age. Um, I think that um, there's so many incredible things about celebrity. There's so many opportunities and in many ways, you know, obviously it's such a gift. But um, I also think that particularly for a child and and especially in the 80s, child actors in the 80s, um, there is a way in which there are kind of pitfalls about sort of um, associating your worth as an individual with how marketable you are. It's an important time to kind of lay the fabric and lay a foundation for, for who you are as a human being. And I, we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we, we don't come from this world. We don't quite know that we'll be able to navigate it as gracefully as one one could potentially had you sort of had a family that was already in Hollywood and understood what all those games, how to play the game well, you know? And so we kind of made a decision that given that I loved acting and I loved dancing and I loved singing and I loved all these different things that we would switch my focus to dance. And then if I wanted to return to acting as an adult, that would always be an option that I could choose to do on my own. Um, So and also, I have to be really honest, like, none of the scripts that I got after The Neverending Story really spoke to me. Um, some of them were really violent. Some of them had, like, nudity in them. I was, like, 11. I was like, Oh, no my gosh. Way. Oh, jeez. So you, <laughs> made, you, you, made a, you made a good decision. So kind yeah. of getting so, I mean, it. Maybe it's, like, yeah. you know, the most amazing script landed in my lap that things would have would have sort of shaken down differently. But I... I wasn't really attracted to kind of the the materials, so so I you know I I kind of made my choice and and happily uh, pursued you know dancing. Uh, and so pursued dancing. So there you go, performing arts. So the story goes from, uh, and then we want to get right into your your latest film. So we're going to go quickly into the 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 short end story of this. Basically, you go into dance. So you get out of the child actor phase, move into dance. Did you go for co- to co- to college for dancing? I did. I went to um, a dance conservatory in New York. Uh, it was wonderful. It was just like very brutal, super disciplined dance education. It's uh, Purchase College. We have a wonderful dance program. Um, and then I moved to New York City and I uh, danced for 20 years. I ran my own dance company um, where I snuck in a lot of theater because I always love theater too. <laughs> and and danced with a lot of different companies in New York and I was simultaneously in a theater company. Um, and then um, And then about five years ago, I... Uh, started to get more serious about my teaching and I became a professor uh, at Marymount Manhattan College for um, a good five years. Um, but but then the itch to get back into theater and to get back into making art just swelled up and I, I, I took a, a right turn yet again and I formed my own um, entertainment company, a family entertainment company called Paper Canoe Company. Oh, okay. And it's funny because I feel like I've come all the way back full circle to the kind of story that the Neverending Story was. It, 
really about making um, entertainment products for the whole family to enjoy. Because I had my daughter, and it was just funny. Like all having a child brings you back to your own childhood, brings you back to the things you were interested in as a child. And so um, we've been we've been making shows and making a, an album, and um, and there's puppetry in those shows. There were puppets in the Never Ending Story. I kind of feel like in this weird way, the pieces of the puzzle are kind of circling around and reforming themselves in new configurations, um, visiting similar territory. And that's so cool. And let's let's talk about your latest film, and uh, it's called Ultra Low. Am I correct? Is that the name? Yes, Ultra um, Low. So I, I, this is a real. I, I like this script a lot. Um, it's a film about how difficult it is to make a film, and um, I'm producing, uh, you know, work for the last twenty years in New York City. I know how hard it is to produce something, from the fundraising to the scheduling to you know whatever, getting brained out on the moment that you need the shoot to work. And so I really related to um, this notion of just how hard it is to make something. And what was funny about Ultra Low is everybody plays themselves in the film. So Nick, who's the director, is actually in the film playing himself, trying to make a film which is impossible to make. Um, And so he wanted me to come in and do a QA, and a but as myself, Former Never Ending Story child, you child like I'm doing the Q&A. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. They're really, um, it was just a really nice shoot with really nice folks, kind of little tongue in cheek, everybody being themselves. Interesting. Okay. So everyone themselves. So it's more about how to go and, and, and get a, and get a, a film out there, right? Is that the pretty much the storyline and premise of this? Well, the film, I don't know if I can give it away. I oh, feel like, I no, don't know. No, don't, don't give it away. I'm, I'm sort of, I, mean, I feel like if I tell you, then the whole no, no, thing we, is fine. I should no, ask you. No, no, that's okay. We don't have to do that. Um, Just everyone needs no, to check it, check it out. That's okay, Tammy. No, no that's fine. Uh, there's a twist. There's a twist. Uh, absolutely. A film, then they have to see it. A film is trying to be made, and the whole thing collapses, but there's a twist. And then, so, so, and that's, that's where the fine. So, so that's great. And see, you're not giving it away. Great job on that, Tammy. I want to go into specifically enough your so you know creating that with your kids and the business. That's got to be really cool because it, then you're going back full circle to where you were as a child actor, and and teaching your kids specifically the business, understanding certain things, and then they can make their decision, right, Tammy, if they're going to to go the route you went or into more into dance yeah. and others. What, what is, what is your little girl thinking and what is she thinking? And, oh, yeah. my little girl, her name is Maya is a total ham and she loves the fact that her life is full of concerts and rehearsals. And we sit around the dinner table and we talk about storylines for projects and she has lots of opinions and she's our sounding board and, I'm about to choreograph a music video for the album that we released, um, Beanstalk Jack, and I'm going to use her in the video, and I'm really, really excited about doing that. So it was just, you know, I felt like sometimes um, in the busy world that we live in, like you, for me, I almost felt like I hardly saw my family between work and school and all the different things, and so... It was really a conscious decision to put everything I'm passionate about under one umbrella. That's great. And so I said to myself, you know, if I make this company, Paper Canoe Company, with my husband, I get to be creative and spend time with my husband. And, um, and you know, my daughter can come to our shows, and the content that we're making is going to speak to her and be relevant to her. So it was a way of, of really inviting my work and my life as a mom and all the different things that I was interested in to um, kind of coalesce under one umbrella. So it all comes back full circle, Tammy, that's for sure. So where is the best place we can find information on you, uh, social media-wise, things like that, so we can connect with you? People want to ask questions about the never-ending story or your latest film or anything yeah, about yeah. your company. Where can we go? Okay. Well, so I've you know, recently come out of hiding. I was 
hiding for a long time, but I'm hiding no more. <laughs> That's the problem. They and hide too I long. Am, <laughs> and I'm actually, I mean, I really have to say that I, I genuinely feel so grateful and amazed that people are remembering the film and have fondness for that character. And I just feel so sort of surprised and happily, happily surprised that it still seems to, um, you know, be in, uh, connect with people. So um, I uh, recently started going to some Comic-Cons and um, I have a Twitter handle. It's at NeverEndingTammy. And so I am on there and I do answer people and it's been really, really fun to interact uh, with fans that way. Um, and the, the website for my new theater company, Peeper Canoe Company, uh, is a great place to check out, um, concerts that we're doing. We do live concerts, mostly in New York, but we are looking at some touring and we'll have the video, the music video that I'm going to be filming in the next, um, months up there soon. Um, and so that's always a great place to check out what I'm up to. Fantastic. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, you're, you're, you're awesome. And you're very humble. Remember if not many people remember certain characters in eighties movies, remember that. And I think if we went back through, I love the eighties, I might've, I'm sure they talked about the never under story and you showed up on that too. I'm sure. So don't over say it was a small role. Well, it was a large role and worthwhile brand wise. And that's why you're going to comic cons and getting the opportunity to meet all these fans after kind of taking a high is from this business and now that's going to help true. That, true. now it's going to help your net your your next business grow because if you have a brand that becomes a brand remember that that's well the, i yeah, do yeah. feel like i've gotten so much support like i still my i'm right now looking at my desk and it's, it's really crazy i mean i still have people writing me people encouraging me to please get back in the film and so i sort of feel like suddenly at this moment that the stars are aligning and i I want to try to give people what they're what they're asking for. So, <laughs> hey, you're gonna it's gonna happen. So, so, um, so I'm really looking forward to this next chapter. And it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time and uh, and and um, best of yeah, best, best of luck. luck to yeah. all the listeners out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Be ready for your Twitter to bro- blow up because I my team <laughs> Twitter tweets out every station it goes out in syndication. So be ready, Tammy. Okay. All right. Take care. Good talking to you. Take care. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, a.k.a. El Chapo, and other related real-life crime stories such as Waco. For information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com. 